When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 300 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he is Frances Tomas. And Frances, it's been a long week for Kool-Aid, so I think everybody needs to hear those two special magic words from you. Um, Kuman out? I think Ola out. Be, let's, let's go with Ola Kool-Aid. Let's go Valverde out. Shall we do that one? No. Well, I think that was our oh. first one. Yeah, possibly, possibly. We've done so many outs already. Um, hola, Cules. Absolute pleasure to be here again. Um, thank you, as I said, in the little six minutes that I had in the previous episode or the one before the previous. Um, it's been a pleasure to come back. Everything is going well. And I am very grateful for everything that obviously Dan does. He's our king, king of the podcast, um, as we already know. But obviously, every single one of the guests that have come up in my absence, I am now a guest and I'm delighted to be back. Yeah, I also want to say, as we're getting through the sentimental stuff, I do appreciate the uh, kind words that I've gotten from this whole podcast community and all that stuff about some of the things that my family's been going through this week. Again, we really appreciate all the kind words. So. Once again, you know, we carry on, we continue, life does continue, but we definitely do, as I said, my wife and I do appreciate everything that everyone said. So back to business at hand, we got to episode 300. That was never really a goal. We never put a number on it, but we are going to be talking about uh, some of the sentimental stuff about the podcast and going over the history of it and maybe not the nuance. You can go back and listen to listener questions about that, but just some of our favorite moments and topics and things like that. So that's our last question, because of course, our special edition of La Ronda today 
basically comes from submissions that you, the listeners, usually I just read your questions, but we actually had people send in audio that I'm going to be playing today. And Francesca and I are going to be hearing those and answering those questions from some of, and looking at those who've submitted audio, it's some of our most devout listeners throughout the, and I say years, it's not just months or weeks or whatever, it's through the years. So the first one though, before I get to anybody else, is my question for you, Francesca. So it's been a while. It's been actually an entire season that has been uh, tough to watch at times. And with last year, you and I, when, before you left, we were talking about the transition, if you will. So what are your impressions of the season so far leading up to the, the sacking of Komen that you and I have actually, not even you, but I haven't spoken about because I had to cancel the second show last week. So what are your impressions of this season leading all the way up to, to Kuman being let go and Sergi Pajwan coming in? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was speaking a lot about the transition season last year. And people thought, oh, my God, this guy sounds like a broken record, which I probably did. And um, I think that the transition season sort of was between, I want to say, February and July last year, and certainly all of this season. Um, I think that Barca is, I don't want to be too pessimistic today, but you have to call a spade a spade. I think Barca is back in 2002, 2001, 2003, uh, the Fanjal years, which I've always referred to as the dark years. And I think that that is precisely where we are again. We don't have a superstar like Ronaldinho. But then again, in 2003 and four, we didn't really have Ronaldinho as such until he um, came from PSG all those years ago. And we don't have that figure that can take us out of the hole that we're currently in, to be honest. So we are nowhere near the fight for La Liga. I think that dreaming of a title this season is is that, dreaming, science fiction. And I think that we just need to be ready for what's coming, for what is happening is not great. I mean, <laughs> we played Alaves and Rayo Vallecano over the last eight days and we got one point. Uh, so that is just embarrassing. It's not even funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. So that's the situation we have. We are in this situation based on the several ongoing and unforgivable mistakes over the last I want to say five years of preparation uh, when you're signing your Netos and your Pianiches and your, you know, incredibly expensive Coutinho, Dembele, Griezmann, and they don't work out. Then the La Caja, the economy of the, of the team just empties and what's on the pitch is terrible. Partner up the fact that obviously Xavi, Iniesta and ultimately Messi are no longer in the team. Uh, people like Dani Alves, Avidal, Puyol no longer in the team. You've got players uh, such as uh, Piquet, Busquets and Jordi Alba who have declined. Um, They're still doing sort of okay, most of the three, the last three that I mentioned, but they're not at their peak, nowhere near. When you've got the next generation of La Masia powerful sort of go-getters that should have been led by Carla Salaña, Cucurella and Sergi Roberto, and none of those are, well, only Sergi Roberto is in the team, and he's now being whistled uh, by the Camino faithful. You've got um, you've got a gap. So behind Sergio Roberto's generation, that's the Alanya Cucurella generation. He's just not there because uh, because of mismanagement, basically uh, not being promoted from La Masia, not being trusted to play at first team level. So there is a missing generation there. The generation after that didn't really work out too well because ultimately that had to do 
with the um, and you follow it a lot close a lot more closely than myself um, of La Masia. Uh, they not necessarily sticking to the system through La Masia, um, having players that had to play because of their contract um, and their promises, and not necessarily just going towards. Uh, the, the, the the players that really deserved it. So you've got two missing generations, but fortunately over the last six, seven months, um, and I think this is going to be Kuman's legacy, as I said last week, um, he's been promoting players from, from within and he hasn't really looked at passports and he's just gone for the best players. And you've got a crop of 17, 18, 19, and even 20 year olds that are not just, not just coming through, but actually becoming starters uh, like Nico and Gabi should be by now. But then you've got um, Balde, you've got obviously Ansu Fati, who hopefully recovers from injury soon, or even though that he's recovered, he's picking little niggles, which is normal, always happens. So I really do think that um, those youngsters are el clavo ardiendo, you know? Uh, you just have to hold on to that and, and basically hope for the best. Um, matches against basically anybody um, this year really, truly matter. Uh, I think we're playing Kiev in a couple of days, uh, but ultimately if we lose, we're out of the Champions League, so be it, you know? I don't think we're going to win it. Um, I think that the Champions League money is important. So I would say that Barca's trophy this season, and I know this is going to sound incredibly pessimistic, but Barca's aim this season has to be being in the top four and getting your Nikos and your Gavis enough playing time so that they're in two, three years' time, they can be the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, I think Kules are kind of unified on some of the major points here. When, as you said, top four, and then making sure that it's the not even the round of 16, I know that's the, the goal, but even getting through the group stage, because even making the next round, that money is more than you'd make from dropping to the Europa League and winning the entire Europa League competition. So mm-hmm. I, I, I continue to, to say that point. And then that means that Kool-Aid's, again, are, are very unified on that front. Their expectation was the top four, and it did take a lot of bad results. And I think the it's in bad faith, the those cataclysmic doomsday people that say that, you know, the club is in whatever it is, it's complete shambles or, you know, a negative result surprises you. But in the same way, again, unfortunately, I had to make up games. So last night I watched both Rio and Alaves back to back. So my brain's a little cloudy. I'm, it, it, it you're a brave man, Dan. I know, you know I you're know, a I know. brave, brave person. Uh, I can't believe that you're awake and, you know, you've got a yeah. smile on your face. I right. Well, I, that. I can't say I extracted too much out of the Nico Gonzalez played well. I didn't extract too much out of those matches. And then I also thinking about Kiev tomorrow, there's a lot of players coming back. But I said for that one, I don't even want to tactically try to break something down or try to fancy mm-hmm. myself into thinking something that is going to be complicated that's going on or some major changes. It's going to be a lot of what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And Kuman being sacked. Can, I, can I jump in on that, Dan? Please. Because, you know, I haven't been in the podcast for so long. I'm just going to interrupt you the whole time. That's okay. <laughs> Please do. Um, so, Sergi Bajan was saying after um, the game against Alaves at home, we watched a 1-1. Um, obviously, the guy has only had like two days of actually um, being in charge. And all he said is that he tried to get the players back in the right frame of mind. So he's just trying to sort of build the emotional, the emotional roller coaster that they've been in and trying to sort of mend it. And uh, his only instruction was simplistically make the pitch a lot wider, uh, like Stoichkov used to do, and himself, you know, Chapi Ferre and Sergi Bajuan used to do back in the day. 
make it as wide as you can. Um, basically, don't have 27 crosses like Ronald Koeman used to do in the end. <laughs> and uh, play a little bit, you know, try and get your superiorities. Um, in other words, try and find the, the free man. Try and go for those uh, classical Barca triangles. Try and associate and uh, be a little bit more together at the back. But at the same time, um, go forward when you can. And, and pretty much that any player has ever played at Barca or any fan that's been watching Barca uh, through the years will be able to tell you that that's the way that Barca should play. So at least Sergi Bajuan was brave enough. I mean, brave. It's against Alaves in the camp. No, but you know, at least he was sticking to what the Barca traditional system is. And hopefully the next manager can cement and, and get better. Yeah, I mean, I think Kuman, for all the frustrations I had with him, with his, I, I just thought he was tactically outmatched so many times in his tenure. Yeah. Uh, again, we knew when he signed up, again, I, I say it many times that the first thing I, the YouTube video I came out about his career was that he was, as a manager, a roller coaster of a manager. He had never really mm -hmm. entered that top tier. And just because he had a, you know, we'll say Barcelona top tier job doesn't mean he was going to improve or, or reach that level. Mm -hmm. And he never did. And so, Kuman was supposed to be there as a legend, as this kind of this leader among men, right? His discipline, those are the things that kind of attracted him to the job, even that he was going to get all these youngsters in order and they were going to listen to him and it was going to work out. And once you could tell that they stopped kind of playing for him, once he had kind of lost the 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 ear of not even the the older players, but everybody, you could tell the players just it wasn't working. Something wasn't working behind the scenes. And if mm -hmm. a manager who cannot ta tactically outclass everyone else loses the squad then he's lost the locker room completely. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it, it was time to go because Barcelona now are in that moment where you are hitting the panic button that results have to happen. And Kuman wasn't going to be getting those results. So whether it's Sergi Bajuan, and we have a question coming up about him in a minute, but yeah, if it's Sergi Bajuan or whoever it was going to be, it just had to be someone different. I think that I agree with what you said. Um, it's impossible to disagree with that. Um, but I think that Kuman was the perfect man for the job at the time. Um, he was someone that had the respect of um, El Entorno, the environment back in Barcelona. As you said, he wasn't there to, you know, be Pep Guardiola number two. All he needed to do was put some things in order, promote the youngsters, and basically, Apitha, um, I can't even say it in Spanish, <laughs> team down all the criticism that was coming and uh, basically take it on the chin, on the chin. He was a little bit of a shield yeah. throughout the Bartomeu roller coaster and obviously eventual crash. I think having someone of of um, of his caliber and stature within the Barca history and within the Barca sort of um, environment was the, a great thing to have. Um, so do you think for better or worse? Do you think for better or worse that? if it wasn't Kuman, almost any other manager actually would have been out even earlier and it would have made the club oh, even yeah. more unstable, right? If it wasn't yeah. the, the big personality and the legend that was Kuman. Yes. Um, I think that to be able to be an umbrella to such criticism and institutional shambles, it would have had to be someone like Kuman, maybe Guardiola, um, maybe even Xavi himself. But absolutely, the club needed someone to, to gel it together. And Kuman was not, and he's not, he never has been the most charismatic, but his knowledge of the club, I think he's, um, he's let's just say it, his stature as a legend, an idol for the very demanding older socios, culés within the, within the camp, no. 
and the many, many, many friends he's got in the Barca press, especially Catalan, obviously, the press these days goes beyond Catalonia, of course. But having so many allies like Luis Canut in and different sectors of Rack U, which is a radio station, and obviously Catalonia Radio as well, and by extension TV3, uh, which is the um, t- television of Catalonia, having so many allies for so many years has really helped him keep the job for so long. And to be honest, I think Bartomeu used him as an umbrella and Joan Laporta, to an extent, has done the same. Um, I think that the fact that Kuman was the manager at El Clásico, despite the horrible results before it, was just so that Laporta himself didn't get uh, splattered with all the, <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but all the negativity, let's just call right. it negativity, that was surely going to, well, not surely, but was most possibly going to come uh, Barca's way if they lost a classical, which obviously we did. Yeah. So we don't usually do it this way, but we are going to hit a break and then be back for the La Ronda in a second. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. First up comes a question from Douglas. Take it away, Douglas. Hi, Dan. Doug Krause here calling from Harare, Zimbabwe. I'm hoping you can give us a tactical assessment of what some of the most effective Barca defenses have looked like in years gone by and follow that up with some opinions on the best ways we can replicate that sort of efficacy, whether it be with new signings or developing young talent or coming up with a new defensive system entirely. Thanks for all the content. Uh, Much appreciated. I encourage everyone to become a patron. It's a tiny investment for a boatload of awesome content. Cheers. All right. Thank you for your question. Um, I think that defense starts at the top of the pitch. Um, I took I my answer. That, you, my, my, note, my, my note just said defending from the front. We had the, we had the same answer. All right. It's, it's like We've we, done this show for far know, too many years, together, mate. But... Far too many years. <laughs> so I don't think it's about a defensive setup in the back line. I obviously think that having someone at the center of defense like Ronald Araujo, who is so fast, obviously unfit most of the time, unfortunately, um, Eddie Garcia, I think he's performing to a good level and every single game he's getting better. See some positivity coming through. Yeah. Positivity. Um, I got a lot of hate for, I want to mention that by the way, <laughs> for, for what, but my Eric Garcia positivity, I've been getting hate for that for months. So, but okay. I'm All right. Take my victory um, laps later. Show 400. Well, I came off social media completely around seven right. months ago. So I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. Uh, so I'm just going to say, cause I'm not going to hear anything that anyone says. Eddie Garcia is having a great season so far. Uh, I don't think that he's the finished product, but, you know, at his age, no one really is. And uh, I think that he's one for the future that um, understands the Barca system. He can play the ball uh, with criterio, uh, with criteria from the back, and uh, he understands uh, where everyone's position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So back to the question, defending starts at the front. And I think the clearest example over the last 20 years of that is Pedro, Pedrito. Uh, Pedro Rodriguez, obviously, the super little Pedro that we miss him so much, even though he wasn't even the star of the team at the time, but we would kill for a Pedro right now. I think that um, obviously you're not going to have every single player in the team pressing because you always have your, say that your star player up front, um, Italics Messi, or your Ibrahimovic, or eventually um, further back in the time, your Ronaldinho. That didn't really press too much. But if you've got a player like that, which hopefully we will one day have again, which we don't at the moment, no one of that caliber anyway, um, everyone else has to do their bit. Uh, modern football, you cannot have um, even two players in the same team that don't press. So I think that being able to recover the ball within the next, uh, the first five, 10 seconds, 10 seconds being too much actually, is crucial. The, the further at the pitch that you recover the ball, the less passes you need to then make to get to the top and have a goal scoring chance, uh, which by the way, we are blowing far too many lately. Um, so yeah, uh, defending is, starts from the front, it's a whole team approach. And I don't think we've got the players to do it properly just yet. Um, but I think that the players that we have can grow to become those. Yeah, my notes, I'll, I just read them and then we'll move on to the next question. It says defending from the front until Barca can do that, it's almost irrelevant to talk about the back line in midfield because it's true. 
if the team cannot press together and it's not organized together, which it has not been for, I mean, since, dare we say, Ernesto Valverde was there where it wasn't always pretty going the other way, but defending, they were seemingly, Barca were defending from the front. And he even did that, that being Valverde with, as you said, Luis Suarez and Messi not defending, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not pressing in the way that we expect them to. So mm-hmm. again, it, it seems like the farther we go along from Ernesto Valverde, the more compliments we kind of throw back into the past, into the well. Um, the other thing too is that balance that, of course, the Guardiola side that everything is going to be compared to, and not just Barca, that every team now for the last 10 years has been compared to. The balance of Abidal on one side and Alves on the other mm-hmm. takes, again, world-class players. It takes top players at their positions. But going, you know, I think going back beyond that is, which I know everyone knows I love to do and I would like to do, it doesn't really make much sense because tactics change so much in just 10 years. So the last 10 years have basically been based on that Guardiola team. And I'm interested to see as football tactics are continuing to change and evolve each and every year. Really, it's always right. It's it's what team likes the ball and possession. And actually, I'm going to put a pin in this and those tactics because we're going to talk about that when we have some questions about Xavi in a second. Well, can I jump in on that? Because mm-hmm. um, I think the theme of the season is we are back 20 years. And um, if you go back to the 2002, three, even one times, we had Reisiga as a right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Ulage Presas, which was a youngster as a right back. We had on the left, I think we had Okunowo that never really made it. Um, yeah. Then we had uh, Giovan Bronkholz at the time. And then we had, a, I think it was Budo in Zenden, if I remember correctly. That's so Dutch most of those players are internationals. Obviously, most of them were from Holland, um, which was a theme under Van Gaal as well. But um, I think those left-back, right-back combinations, so full-backs are actually better than the ones we've got today when you've got Jordi Alba at 34, 33 years old. So I'm just going to drop that there. It's interesting to go back to that team and compare it to this one. And I'd like to get a, a larger look and go back and watch some more film about that to try to make the comparison. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. actually speaking of a player that was in the squad just before that and is now the manager of FC Barcelona in Sergi Bazwan, we got a question about Sergi from who started as a listener and has become to me actually corresponding in emails and Patreon roundtables always in Mike Crimmon. So Mike, thank you so much for everything you've always done for the pod. Uh, we couldn't, we could not have done it without you. So uh, nope. Mike, we have a question from him now. My question is what has Sergi Barwan done to earn the faith that Laporta has in him? I know he was a, a player for Barca and a captain. He's coached a little bit at the youth, youth level, but it doesn't seem like he's done anything as a manager and especially at Barca B this year, to earn the interim manager title, uh, especially when someone like Jordi Cruyff is available within the club to take over for a few games. Thanks. Well, Mike, I want to address the last part of your question first, and that is the stuff about Jordi Cruyff, and that it seems like, like he does not want to step into the managerial role it seems like he wants to stay behind the scenes. I mean, he's been a technical director for a while. Yes, he stepped into, what was it? Uh, he became manager of the, uh, the the team in China before. Mm-hmm. And I think he's willing to take certain jobs, but I don't think Jordi Cruyff, for legacy's sake, wants to step into the head role at Barcelona. And it is completely fine. That, that completely yeah. makes sense. And the same way that, we don't blame Carlos Puyol, right? I think Kool-Aid's are a little disheartened by the fact that Carlos Puyol enjoys being an agent, enjoys just kind of showing up to the camp new and being on the peripheral of the team, but still being a club legend. And I think Jordi Cruyff wants to do the same thing. He doesn't want to be the main man in front of everybody. And again, totally fine, but he's part of the decision-making mm-hmm. process. And for Sergi Barzuan, I mean, clearly he's just a placeholder. That's it. I mean, with Barca B, he was 
not as good as, as Garcia Pimienta and some of the results and that for, for Barca B. So he hasn't done anything exceptional. He also hasn't done much managing at all. I mean, he also came from a club in China, but obviously he has a very close relationship with Laporta. That was a promise that was made. I mean, is there anything else to add to that, Frances? <laughs> I don't think there's much to add apart from the fact that Sergi Barjuan um, is, um, speaks very good Catalan, read between the lines. So I think that Garcia Pimienta was a much, 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 much more appropriate choice for the B team. I think that he proved it throughout the many years that he was there, not just at Barça B level, but all the way from Infantiles, Cadetes, especially at Juvenil, which is the under-19s. He was fantastic. Pretty much every player that um, we've already mentioned today between the 17 to 21, 22 years old bracket has gone through Garcia Pimienta's hands and they are there because Garcia Pimienta mentored them. Uh, obviously, several coaches before him, of course. But um, Sergi Barjuan, I've got really no idea why he's a Barca. Uh, I don't dislike the guy. Uh, as a football player, he was one of my idols. As um, regular listeners to the podcast probably know, I was a fullback all of my career. So I always mirror myself on Chapi Ferrer and Sergi Barjuan, which basically they were a photocopy of each other, um, either flank. And then later years, obviously, it was John, Danny Alves, which was obviously much better than me. But as a player, full respect um, for what he did, not just at Barca level, but also for the national team as well, as the Spanish national team. Yeah, I just think that they've got a very good relationship. This is Sergio and Laporta off screen, if that makes sense. And I would say that's one of the reasons why he's there. I mean, he wasn't great at Recreativo de Huelva. And uh, it's, it's even... no impossible but very difficult for me to remember anything major he's done as a coach to deserve to be at Barca B yet alone the first team but at the moment he's doing us a favor as an interim manager right it's another favor from another player who was around the club a long time ago yep. and that does bring up a big thing about because we're going to transition to some Xavi questions here now and you know the big question becomes for Barcelona and I think all the giants I read a wonderful article about this whether it's Juventus or even Arsenal or Tottenham or all these different clubs that are trying to bring in managers, they feel like they have to bring in someone connected to the mythos of the club. Because as you said about Kuman, these legends wind up being a shield for what has just been kind of mismanagement behind the scenes for a long mm -hmm. time. And so Barcelona to, to expel or to exercise the, the demons of, of Bartomeu that are going to be with the club for a long time. I mean, they have really stuck their, their fangs into the, the, the venom that courses through the club's veins. It's going to take a long time to detox from all of that. So having club legends come in and Barzwan is obviously not a club legend. So he's not a, a club legend, but he is a good player. That I think he is. Well, I, well was... that's what I was going to say. I don't know if he's a younger generation, sure, but the people that actually go to the stadium and make decisions and are socios and have been around the club for 30 years, they obviously know who Sergio, Sergio Barzwan is because yeah. he was, a part, he was a part of one of the most important teams that Barcelona had. So for mm -hmm. sure, for sure, he is a, a, a player that, especially in Catalonia, is seen in very high regard and can be yeah. uh, even a temporary shield for, for, for the club at the moment. So let's get into the mm -hmm. Xavi stuff, though. We start with a question from Nicholas. All right, Nicholas, let's hear it. Hi, Dan. Hi, Frances. First of all, congratulations to you guys for episode 300, an incredible feat. I love listening to you guys, um, some of the best Barca content that's out there. So yeah, congratulations. My question is short. Um, it looks increasingly like Xavi is going to be the next manager. Do you think he's ready? Because I'm a bit afraid that he might not be and then at some point he will have bad results and people will lose patience and yeah, then the media will eat him alive. Okay, thank you for the kind words. We not, do not take 
any of our listeners for granted and um, having you being part of our community is, is fantastic. So thank you so much for that. Is Chavi ready for the job? Well, I'm actually, regular listeners will know that I live here in Doha. Uh, I am in Qatar and I think it is tomorrow. Today is, no, in two days time, Chavi is hopefully, because I think that he is the right man for the job at Barca, hopefully going to coach his last, um, his last match here in, in Qatar. It's against Al Duhail and he obviously coaches Al Sadd. They are the top two teams in the league. Um, Xavi has been killing it here in Doha, to be honest. Um, as a player, he made a name for himself. Obviously, his name was bigger <laughs> than any other player possibly in the history of the Qatari league. But um, I think that he established himself not just as someone who comes, gets the paycheck and leaves, but actually someone who was going beyond. He's trying to instill his Barca philosophy. And he, as he did at Barca, especially in his later years, he is someone who really enjoyed nurturing and supporting and, and enabling other people to be the best they could be. Um, that is the reason why he became the manager um, here at Al Sadd. And I really do think that um, he's grown enormously since. Um, I remember during the first year that um, Chavi took charge. Um, I've got a lot of um, friends who are local, um, given my line of work, and um, they weren't sure. They were not sure at all. Um, Al Sadd, I don't think that many people outside Doha would know they are the best club. They are the traditional club of the country. Uh, I think the fact that they were white and black, like obviously the traditional clothing here in Doha, really does help as well. Um, when you walk around the city, you don't necessarily see many football shirts. But um, again, in my line of work, I get to see a lot of young people. If there are 10, let's just say, if there are 10 rucksacks that I see around the different educational institutions that I'm part of, I would say nine of them are from Al-Sad. So this is not a small team. And, and this is not just a team built on money. This is a team built on tradition. And this is a team that um, the locals are very proud of. And it's the, without a doubt, the, the better supported team in the country. Um, also, it is a team that normally wins. So having Xavi being in charge and winning is good, but I don't think it is exceptional given the budget and given the fact that um, it is a team that's used to winning. They've got a lot of history. Uh, I do compare... Al-Sad to Real Madrid in Spain. You know, they are the team that is closer to the government. They are the team that, you know, has traditionally been, been great. Um, fast forward to what Xavi has done for them. Um, he's changed mindsets here. Um, he has been instilling a Barca um, style, um, passing before, because, you know, traditionally Al-Sad was all about, um, again, like Real Madrid still are, not necessarily countering, but not going all out in attack. And uh, it was a sort of one-way punch game of transitions. And then because they got players with higher quality because of the wage that they get, they used to normally win the, win the games. But actually, Xavi has transformed the mindset, not just of the players, which is in a way easier, but actually the fans. Um, I think that goes linked to the fact that the vast majority of coaches within the national team Obviously, Felix is the, is the manager of the Qatar national team um, and he's Catalan as well. And a lot of coaches um, in the under-19s, under-17s for the Qatar national team and also in Aspire Academy are all Spanish. Uh, and it goes, well, the vast majority of them are Spanish, a uh, huge number. I want to say the 60 to 70%. And I think that there's been a shift in the country towards um, being able to play attacking football, uh, not just as a... As an, as an option, but actually as the way to, as we said in the previous question, defend and attack. And I think that Xavi is, as Guardiola said himself, 
I think Xavi is more ready than Guardiola ever was um, to, to jump into the first team. And I'm not going to say he's the best choice. I'm actually going to go further and say he's the only choice that Barca have available right now if they want to get back to winning ways. Uh, because he would, given his stature and his legacy and his status as a club legend, he would be able to unify um, all the different, again, segments of the entorno, of the environment. That would be the press, that would be the players themselves, um, that would be the international press as well. I think that if Xavi goes and joins Barca, which hopefully he will, he's going to have a lot more leeway from all segments. Um, and I think that Laporta really cannot mess it up again. Um, I think that if the next manager that comes is unsuccessful, then Laporta, who's been tiptoeing about the crisis at the moment, he's going to have the finger pointed directly at him uh, for not being able to make the right choices. So I would go as far as saying that Xavi is the only chance, uh, the only choice that actually has a chance of being successful right now. I mean, when looking at his manager stuff in, in Al Saad, I mean, he does have Akram Afif and Santi Cazzola, who, mm-hmm. you know, while in, in the Liga, you know, we're both actually do probably doing some of their best work, obviously, for Villarreal in, in the Liga. But for those two players, they're two of probably the top two players in the Qatari uh, Super League. And um, so to have those kind of players and have, we'll say, the most talented team as well is certainly helpful. But to, to me, it really does come down to the philosophies and what he is learning as a manager there. And can it be applicable to both, you know, controlling the locker room and then on the field? So he's obviously said all the right things about what he wants to do, right? He wants to have the ball. He wants to have, as you mentioned earlier in the uh, in the show, numerical super- superiorities where he's always finding the mm-hmm. free man. And I, I want to let people know too, the formation itself is not necessarily the point. He is he generally plays a, a three four three, but he's also played a a four two three one. He's played a four three three. He's played, I guess you could call it mainly a four two two two. There we go, we got there. But yeah, I mm-hmm. mean three four three is generally the generic uh, formation, but. Once again, he's trying to. He would want to reinstill things like possession yeah. against a high press, um, you know, in a way that, you know, again, no disrespect to Toronto Kuman, but Barcelona's possession against the high press, while they've been able to break the first line, they've left themselves susceptible. I mean, looking at the Rio goal, which I don't say it kept me up last night because again, it happened uh, almost a week ago. But mm-hmm. you know, that goal, a lot of it goes on Sergio uh, Busquets, sure, but it also goes on where Barcelona was set up in that freeze frame. Why did Busquets hold on to the ball for the extra moment, right? It's his decision to do that, but also the team was not prepared to break Rio's high press, which is fine, but also it's Rio Vallecano's high press. So that's something that you should be able to get through, especially in those kind of moments when you have Falcao playing at the ATS. So one of the things that, and nuanced things that I'm interested to look more into, and again, uh, I've been away for a little bit, uh, as our listeners know, so uh, for the last week, so I will be returning and doing all my my footage watching and da 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 da. Um, but he does look to have one of the interior midfielders free in the middle of the field by bringing one of the defensive midfielders out wide in what he usually plays as a double pivot. So as was the case with Kuman, as well as let's start before that, as was the case with Setien, as was the case with Kuman, as was the case with Valverde when Frankie De Jong arrived. The partnership between Busquets and De Jong is something that I'm immediately going to circle the minute. Xavi shows up and then where he goes with those interior midfielders and how he keeps his fullbacks high up the field and how he keeps with those are all things that are going to be really paramount to, 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 to how he can enact the style that he wants to play. Um, now, one of the big issues might be some of the players he has and dealing again, we, we know what he wants to do on the field. 
And maybe Barca don't have the personnel at this moment to do that. But if he has an idea and some notions, there are enough players coming from the academy that might be able to understand those things that you can start to see some of those, some of the ideas that he wants to put on the field, Xavi, if he were to take over Barca. And then you could see where they could turn into right down the road. So you, it's, it's a long-term planning, sure. But also, if you're doing all those things, if you're hitting the checklist that Xavi's put forward, the results will also change if the players want to play for him. So it's going to work in tandem, that if he can enact his ideas, then clearly the results are going to turn around. However, some of the blockades might be, again, some of his friends. And we go back to Mike once more for his second question here, asking just that. My question for you guys is how you think Xavi will handle managing his old teammates, in particular PK, Busquets, Roberto, and, and Alba, and whether he'll, if he believes it's the case, have the strength to sit them down or reduce their role as he sees fit, or will he be overly influenced by his friendship and loyalty to them? Thanks a lot. Well, we need to trust Xavi for what he has said. We haven't really heard him say this, but uh, there's been several reports that indicate that actually he sees having Piquet, Busquets, Alba, etc. as allies. He sees it as an advantage. He sees that as, um, you know, someone that he wouldn't have to build a relationship with because he's already got that relationship. Um, Xavi, for what I've seen here in, in Doha and uh, what I saw when he was at Barca, is someone who's very direct. Um, I don't think he's as rough with the press as Luis Enrique is, but he's someone that he will be definitely be able to call a spade a spade if he sees it. And uh, if he needs to sit down Gerard Piquet and say, look, Gerard, you know, you, you're now uh, 34 years old. Um, I think that it is about time that you took a step back and you nurture the new ones uh, in terms of uh, supporting them with training and then coming on as a substitute in the second half. You may not be able to play every single game, but I want you to make sure that um, you are rested and fully ready for the big games. I think PK would buy that. And um, by extension, I think Busquets would be the same. I think Jordi Alba would be the same. But the major difference there is that I think that as things stand today, Jordi Alba is untouchable at Barca. I think he's one of the most dangerous players, particularly this season in attack. And I think Busquets is also essential if he's, um, if he's retaguarda, yeah? meaning the, the ones behind him. Uh, protecting him like say they do in Spain so I think the conversation with all different players will be different um, I'm not even mentioning Sergio Roberto I don't think he's a starter as it is anyway nope. but I think that Busquets and Jordi Alba really should continue to be starters unless there's a visible and clear replacement but I think the conversations with Piquet are, are long overdue put it that way and I think Xavi will be able to to have them I think Busquets is the most interesting one to me because he is the, the main captain of the team so you usually you'd expect your main captain to be on the field. And we've talked about how with Spain, that's where Busquets shines a little brighter as he does with Barcelona because they're much more organized and this is organization yeah. uh, at Barcelona in their setup. So, you know, what focus do you want to have for Busquets in your team? We know the player that he is capable of being. We know that when a team is set up to help him succeed, then certainly you don't want anyone at that pivot position uh, in the world still today. I, I think in the same regard, if Barcelona are finding that their weaknesses with the way the current squad is built are not going to be supporting of him, then you could even look at a situation where Xavi comes in, asks him to take a lesser role this season so that he, Xavi has time to enact his plan to return him to the team next year. As crazy as that sounds, right? That you'd think that, oh, you know, the old player is going to be phased out and then brought back next year. And then you might you'd feel like the alarm bells are ringing. But I, I think if the team is not structured in a way that supports Busquets, then Xavi might need to go down to his friend, 
I mean, again, one of the guys that was in that midfield three with him and Iniesta. So if anyone's going to understand Xavi and where he's coming from and how uh, and his game plan, it's going to be Busquets because he was mm -hmm. those two were symbiotic, right, in all their time together. So I don't think it's the personalities that you worry about so much of can the construction of the team support phasing those those gentlemen out. And that means I, I think Xavi will have the strength to do that as far as sitting down with them. But does he even have the ability to reduce their roles if need be? And then in the press, he's going to have to, you know, he'll almost have to make an excuse. It'll sound like an excuse for his friends, but the truth might be that he, he physically cannot get rid of them because they, they, they the, the plan has not been enacted to replace the, uh, you know, in incredible institutional knowledge that they have in the club. Okay. And then speaking of the roster here, Tamir, uh, he's got a question too. Hi, Dan and Francesc. Based on what you know about Xavi's philosophy and tactics, what players do you see becoming more and less prominent with him as coach? And secondly, do you think we'll see more of a pure meritocracy? Or will things like club politics, personality differences, and historical relationships still influence the coach's decisions on who gets minutes? Thanks for the question, Tamir. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Jordi Alba in that group with Xavi, and I actually go right back to it. Jordi Alba should, I think, be rotated a bit more. And I think Balde will actually be a player who would, under Xavi, get a more prominent role. Now, he, unfortunately, was injured as well. But now he's been around the first team, has made his debut, then got injured, is now back, played against Alaves a bit. So I actually think Balde would get an enhanced role. I think Dest may actually lose his role. I know that with Dembele out, he's really the only right winger that adds width because Demir cuts in. Coutinho, uh, you know, and then... <laughs> and I also think, uh, finally... For better or worse, I think Pooj is the easy guest to play, a, just feature a bit more. Uh, I'm not saying he'll be a main player. I think Gabi and Nico Gonzalez, for everybody who steps in, will be ahead of him on the depth chart for young midfielders. But I think you could see Pooj coming off the bench even more so than, than Coutinho. Because so, if I'm Xavi coming in, I have absolutely no allegiance to Coutinho. I mean, even Coleman had a year and a half of of Coutinho. So, I mean, well, not even a year and a half, but, you know, as, as, he ret as Coutinho returned to the club, he was out for all of last season, but he was in the team picture. He was in the, he was around it. And at this point, I think the club really will be able to say to Xavi, yeah, I mean, if you just want to put Coutinho on the bench, I, I think Pooj makes more sense in that role. And again, Nico and, uh, Nico and Gabi, I think are going to be more longtime starters even with a bit more rotation for Busquets as we spoke about in, in weeks past. So that's how I could mm -hmm. see the numbers changing a bit with Des being the one who loses his minutes. But again, for Des, if Dembele is not healthy, I'm not sure exactly who you do necessarily even replace him with other than going full frontal on, you know, younger players. As well, we saw the debut for, for Abde as Zalzali, who's just playing his first year with Barca B. He made his mm -hmm. debut for Barcelona, what, a month and a half after he made his debut for Barca B, a 19-year-old Moroccan who just made the move from Hercules in the lower divisions, but he spent mm -hmm. his whole career there. He's kind of an unknown commodity, but he's really good at dribbling and he's really good at staying wide. Those are the two things that I can tell you from everything I've seen from Barca B and some of the footage mm -hmm. from Hercules. He just, again, is a good 1v1 dribbler, does not have any finishing product really, <laughs> doesn't really, can't truly get to the end line. But again, he's going to set up his position out wide and add width. And, he, you know, he's pretty quick and he's, he is a, an adept dribbler. I think his his role or his specialty at any first team, Barca or otherwise, would be as a as a dribbler. And so, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe Xavi leans into just a young player like that saying that, you know, Dest does a lot of little good things for us, but he doesn't have that one exceptional skill that I truly need in my game plan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hey, what about you? Well, I've got um, a million ideas flying through my head, so I had to make some notes. I'm just going to go one by one. I don't know if you answered the question, but this is how my brain works. Mm -hmm. 
Coutinho, um, I think that um, there is one reason and one reason only for Coutinho to still be playing at Barca, and that is called window shopping. I think that if you play Coutinho, it is very likely that other teams will see him. Um, hopefully the guys at Newcastle United are actually watching as well. And, you know, he's incredibly handsome. Um, he's got, you know, his goatee is fantastic as well. And I think that he will look fantastic on a white and black Newcastle top. Well, can, can so, argument. Can argument. I actually hope they're not watching and they last watched him for Liverpool in 2017. That's actually like, yes. I'm actually hoping that they just actually just take their checkbooks out and don't take the time to, to watch any matches. Well, they clearly were watching then. Um, so let's just, let's just, yeah, let's do a combine of those two. Um, I don't see any, literally no reason other than selling him on why Coutinho would still be playing at Barca. He, someone has got, unfortunately, I don't want to be too harsh, but um, by what I've seen over the last three years at Barca, he's got the personality of a lamppost. You know, he really hasn't done anything to change literally any game that I can possibly remember, uh, certainly since coming back from Bayern Munich, even worse. Granted, you know, you can make excuses for him. You know, Bas has been in shambles from before he joined uh, and he's just been declining. But ultimately, if you're a player who is the most expensive signing in the Barca history, that's more expensive than Messi and Romario and Ronaldo and Rivaldo and Dani Alves. And, you know, you can continue. Then you expect, let's just say, a tiny little bit more from him. Um, So I don't think Coutinho should be playing other than let's try and sell him on. Then Dembele. So I don't think he's going to be playing for Barca much longer. Because of the contract situation. You're saying exactly. they're going to free them out. Yeah, exactly. So I think that um, I, I, for, for one, I don't believe he's as injured as they're telling us. I think that there are basically Ilash Moriba reasons why Dembele isn't playing just yet. Um, I think that if he refuses to renew his contract, which he's certainly doing, then I don't really see many reasons for him to play other than, hey, Barca's quite cool. Stay with us. Um, you're, you're quite important for the new coach. Stay with us. Uh, but I don't think, like, basically, I just think he's playing a game. Uh, I think that he's, um, his contract is expiring soon. Um, he's obviously got offers from especially England to go. And, um, you know, if he's taking in a sabbatical season, I wouldn't be surprised, put it that way. Um, so I think that he would do a fantastic job because he's speedy, because he is much more intelligent now than he was when he joined us, let's face it. I think that he's someone who is brave. He's someone who takes risks. And I think he would be a fantastic player for us. But if he's awaiting a major paycheck, meaning let's just go for free, then I think Laporta is going to put his foot down and actually not let him feature too much, which, to be honest, I think makes sense because he would get his, his playing, the, 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 say, the playing time that Dembele will be getting is going to go to players like Abde and Serginho Dest up front and whatever other inventions um, the new manager can yeah. actually come up with. So that's the Dembele section. So I think he would be a key player for Xavi if he was allowed to play and allowed me in the contract situation and pol- politics behind the scenes. So having said all that, I think the key player for Xavi coming in would be Frankie the Young. Uh, and hear me out on this one. No, no, 100%. I agree. I mean, yeah. I, we, probably, we probably have the same reasons, but yeah, 100%, it's Frankie the Young. So, yeah. So um, I think that if Xavi sees that Frankie the Young can do a job in Busquets' position, 
meaning in the position in which Frankie was outstanding at Ajax initially, even though that later on he became more attacking, then if you face, and these big words, but if you face Busquets out with Frankie de Jong taking that position, then in front of him, you could have a combination of Pedri and uh, obviously Nico and Gabi and whoever else gets in the mix, which I think is the future of Barca. So if by the end of the season, we've got established meaning non-injured and confident and basically learning of um, Frankie as a holding midfielder. And let's just say Pedri and Nico in front of him. Um, that is a job well done, to be honest. Whether we finish the league, uh, let's just say fourth or third, um, that would be great. If we finish sixth or seventh, then obviously economically the, the club would be hit. But I really do think that um, Frankie's positioning and Frankie's sort of growth as well, because uh, and especially lately over the last six weeks, I've been seeing a lot of uh, articles in Mundo Deportivo and Sport, which obviously is the Spanish Catalan media, sorry, the, the, the Catalan national media here, that keep criticizing the young for not making the step forward. But then at the same time, he's not playing at Ajax under 10 hack, which, you know, another 15 incredibly hungry young players. He was playing at Barca and the Setien and Kuman, who, let's face it, are not the most inspirational managers um, in the history of football. And I think we need to cut in some slack. But if Xavi comes with renewed ideas, true identity of what Barca means, what Barca should be, and Frankie is still not catching on, then that would be a moment to be, to be worried. Uh, but I've got high hopes for Frankie. And obviously, if he excels and he establishes himself and he becomes the leader that he's meant to be, then Nico, Gabi, Pedri and others that may come after really have a window for success. And Barca can hopefully get out of the hole that we're so deeply rooted on. Well, yeah, we talk about that, the transition players, right? That missing generations that you, you were speaking about before. And Frankie is 24. He'll be 25. And let's say... Yeah. For the next year, he doesn't become, but at the moment you would expect, I know there are a lot of young, talented players, but you expect that he's Barcelona's best midfielder in this moment at 24. And if he isn't, mm-hmm. if he never really figures out how to fit in the next manager's plan, again, we're assuming it's probably going to be shabby, but if he doesn't wind up ever taking that pivot role by the reins or taking the, or be just being the interior role of interior midfielder you cannot get rid of, then I, then Barca are going to actually have to take a hard look at, it's crazy to say, but they're going to have to take a hard look at Frank Young at 25. And then yeah. when PSG, of course, is always going to be bringing, you know, bringing them or Manchester United or Man City, whoever it is. And they're calling about Frank Young when he's 25 years old next year, then you got, as crazy for me to say that you have to take those conversations seriously and yeah. those phone calls seriously. But I actually still, just like you, I'm always going to be patient with Frank Young. He is still 24 years old entering his prime. And again, the, the nature of Busquets and De Young. There are moments when things are good. You can go back and listen to my match reports on the YouTube or go back and listen to the shows about their positioning together. Their position in the buildup has always been interesting to me. Their position on the rest defense and how it seems like it's all that it's worked sometimes, but even in the moments it works, it works for 92% of a match. And then Barcelona still can see the goal or something happens. So, um, yeah. yeah I, Let I, me just jump in. 75 million euros we play mm-hmm. for Frankie de Jong. Just leaving it there. 75 million euros could buy you a very good player right now. And that's usually, and, and likely that goal, that a player is going to want to be a goal scorer, or that's what Barcelona is going to want to have a player to put the ball in the back of the net, because that's one of the big exactly. things that the club is missing, which is, again, yeah. pretty important to the sport of football. Okay, so yeah. last question we have is a fun one from, again, one of our very long-term, uh, I, I think someone who's 
you become a friend that started as a listener from almost the very beginning. I think he was one of the first mm -hmm. ones to send us a listener question on the very first LaRonda show. So Rick Saito, take it away. Hi, Dan. Hi, Francesc. Congratulations, 300 episodes. It's been a wonderful journey since episode one. I'm really looking forward to another 300. My question is, looking back, what are some of your most memorable podcast episodes or topics you discussed? Again, thank you for the wonderful podcast and Facebook group, Forza Barca. Rick, thanks so much for the kind words as well from you. So yeah, what memorable podcasts or topics we discuss? Oh, man. All right, Frances, I say that like I'm thinking about it now, but you know that I wouldn't have heard this question via email and not taken the time to actually do the research on it. So of course, of course. I have got a Three, list. 300 episodes you've done, mate. Of course, uh, it's been a that. lot. It's been a lot. Uh, <laughs> actually, I haven't technically done all of them, and we're going to get to that in a second. So, um, oh, true. Right, right. True, so, true, true. we're going to get to that in a second. I have a long list, and I'm going to give Frances a little bit of time to mull it over. As longtime listeners also know, that I asked Frances if he wanted to hear the questions, and he said no. So, we carry on, and I'll go first. <laughs> so, here we go. Rick, I, you know, I don't know why this one popped up to me. It's not the most memorable show at all, but when we interviewed Ronald DeBoer, so Frank DeBoer's brother yes. in 2020, it wasn't a particularly special interview, but I do remember for me, time-wise, he said, okay, you could do the interview, but you're going to have to do it basically in a few hours. So I remember staying up all night to then do the interview in the very early morning because he got back to us so late. And then basically mm -hmm. gave me a couple hour window to prepare the whole interview and just make sure I was ready to go. And I remember we didn't have internet. The internet cut out in our house and I'm just buzzing around and I'm saying, well, he wanted us to do the interview prior to the, the internet company opening up. So before I could call to have it fixed, I'm just plugging the thing back in and out and out and anything. I'm saying, hey, I really would like to talk to Ronald DeBoer, please. I mean, let this internet work. So the internet did hold off. I wound up doing it like right next to where the internet was. So I did it on, a, on my couch instead of even at the normal table I was at because I wanted to be right next to the thing in case it cut out. So I remember that one. Um, I think our most notorious one was a recent one, one of the last ones you actually did. And it was the Super League. And the reason I say notorious is because that was a show where I had the most mentions about people unsubscribing and, and getting <laughs> and hating us. And so that one stands out to me as a notorious one. But then going Bad back times. to the <laughs> right. And then coming back on the timeline here, episode 32 of the show was September of 2017. I was getting married that week. And so Frances did a mailbag show without me. So a lot of Frances was talking to himself. And then I also did, even though I was getting married, I still promised that I would edit it for him. So I did. So he sent me the files and, and we got that edited. And then a few weeks later, episode 36, which is still in 2017, we had our first guest, who is Ewan McTair, who ironically enough, helps host the Managing Madrid podcast. So we were willing to shake it up pretty early on with you. And so thanks to him being our very first guest. We've had so many guests too. And these are all memories of, again, I'm celebrating episode 200 with Frances because you and I started it together. So these are all basically just Frances and I. There's a lot of other great moments with all the guests we've had. And we have a hall of fame up on the website, barzablog.com. Mm -hmm. So check out all the different names that have come on and helped me. I mean, I, I don't want to miss anybody. So I actually am not going to say anything. I know Emil and Barcelona yep. helped me get through this now, but uh, whether it was Mike Miller, whether it was Deanna Christine, whether it was Kevin Williams, whether it was, again, I don't want to miss anyone. Musa has been such a support to the show. So thanks to everyone that's kind of come on and, and joined our, I, I even have a five timers club with people who've come on from whether than five times. And then oddly enough, the very next show though, from you in episode 37, October 3rd, 2017, that was the show I think maybe I'm most proud of in a way, because that was the show we talked about the Catalan referendum, the history yeah. of Barcelona and the club's connection to Catalan politics throughout the decades. And I thought you and I handled that one, not to say towing a line, but we handled that with, uh, I thought, grace. We handled it with, with thoughtfulness. I was really proud of us for that. Uh, then episode 51, I'm almost done with my list. I've got six more. Episode 51, December of 2017. 
I recorded something from my honeymoon in Barcelona while Frances hosted and did an interview with Lee Roden. So Frances held the fort, we'll say, uh, down in, uh, he was still in the UK at the time, but I still couldn't help myself. I had to, if I was going to go to the Barcelona Museum, you were going to, you didn't want me to record. I mean, there was no way I was going to not record something for that. Uh, so I sent that in. January of 2018, we had on Frances's brother, which was, I mean, a cool interview. It was one of the cool interviews. Also, the uh, I, I said, well, I, I guess we'll say the worst understanding of the English language, but you got him through it because <laughs> he is your brother. Yep. So uh, thanks to his brother for coming on. And then April 2018, we did our first Patreon roundtable show, which was a big deal as well. It was the first time where we went, okay, people are financially supporting the show and we can do this roundtable show. So, I mean, that's cool that we could do that. Um, May of 2018, we did a celebration of Andres Iniesta's career. And I really enjoyed that show, of course, because while I love Xavi and, and Messi and uh, Iniesta, just there's there's something about Iniesta where I just feel like our souls are connected. And so I, I loved, I loved uh, that show. And then May of 2019 was when Barca lost to Liverpool. And you and I, that was the first time that I didn't make a rundown. That was the first time I just hit record after two years and just said, okay, I'm feeling a lot of things. He's feeling a lot of things. We can get through this without a rundown. Mm -hmm. And then... The final show I have on my list is episode 152 in August of 2019. It was one of the best debates we had, I thought, ever. It was where you and I kind of had our points. We went back and forth. We interrupted. And it's how a podcast is supposed to sound. So I'm really rambly. You can be rambly. So, I mean, it's, it's not always articulate here. But I thought that show was just one where we both brought the heat. We both brought our fastballs, you know, baseball thing, whatever. And we had an argument about the return of Neymar mm -hmm. and about, you know, Coutinho. So how funny it is, listening even that, August of 2019, how naive we were to even argue about something like a return of Neymar. You know, having an idea that the club's finances were terrible, but also even August of 2019, not having a full idea of just how bad it was going to be. So mm -hmm. I, I say that in a weird tone, uh, but yeah, it got bad. But yeah, so those are all, that was a list I came up with. Anything else list. maybe spit out to you, Fred Zess, that you, that you remember in particular? No, um, obviously, because Dan being Dan, he's ultra prepared. Um, I was hoping that you didn't hit on the episode that I have in my head. Obviously, I haven't been in the podcast for a little while. I don't even know the day that I live in, so I don't know how how many episodes I've been away from but um I can only remember one so some of the things that you were mentioning now I didn't remember doing it because to me it's not that everything is a blur but to me because Barca news and, and and Barca in itself as a as a being as a community moves so quickly oh, um disgusting. I I've yeah, gone a, I don't gone a really week and I feel like I've been gone a year yeah of course exactly exactly so I don't really sort of live in the now uh, i always live in the in the now thinking about what's coming but um the one episode and really all the dates are muddled up in my head i don't know what episode number this is but um one afternoon we were due to record and i don't know how many years ago this was probably two and a half and they, they basically the whole of the city was in uproar there was terrorist attacks in La Ramblas. I don't know if you remember. Mm -hmm. And um, we were debating whether to talk about, I don't know, Alaves or Levante, whoever we were playing, or just hit record and just um, talk about what was actually happening. Um, let's, let's rephrase that. Not just what, was, what had happened, which is what we normally do. It was about what was happening at the time, which was uh, we didn't know whether the people of Barcelona were safe um, and we didn't know who had done whatever it was. Obviously, everything became clear with time and we just hit records. And uh, that was the, the, the one show. I mean, we always do this, but it was the show in which 
sort of everything that we said came from deep within. Uh, it was like us, like my soul, our souls, but certainly my soul as a local, because obviously I was born in Barcelona and it is my city, even though that I've been away from it for like 19, 20 years now, it is still my city. It, I was talking from the heart and I was, I had the lives of all my friends and because uh, I didn't know who was in the middle of uh, this tragedy that obviously was unraveling in front of our eyes. And um, I was, I always do, but I was talking more from the heart than usual. And because it meant more than just uh, 11 players uh, running after a ball and hopefully kicking it to the back of the net, it meant a lot more. And that is the one that I remember above all other episodes we've ever recorded. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of sums it up when, with, with my list and then with the one you mentioned there. When you host a show for four years and life continues to change around you, there are highs, there are lows. And just like with the club, there are highs and lows. And so I think, you know, going through this list kind of puts it in perspective that for the podcast, it's been a part of, you know, my financial picture. There's been a lot of sacrifices. There's been a lot of difficult conversations through the years. But yeah, 300 is not just a milestone. It's 300 that I'm proud of and 300 that not that I, I'm shocked that we got here. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of risk. It's been a lot of making guesses about time and opportunity and saying no to certain other things and just kind of sticking with it. And I'm very patient. Uh, the nickname, you know, that my wife and some of my family has for me is a cockroach because I have an ability to, you know, whether I'm on my honeymoon or whatever it is, just to, to weather the storm and say, okay, content needs to come out. And I have just say, you know, an obsessive nature about that where just like, mm -hmm. but also I don't obsess about social media or Twitter. And that's something that's also kept me, you know, mentally inclined where I turn it off when I need to. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I also know I need to check it because I need to know if Bono Kuman got fired every day. So I, uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's ironic one of the one of the day that he did was a day that I was I was busy with other things. But yeah, I mean, as much as I say that it's it's always about what's happening on the field. When you cover a team almost daily for four years, you kind of start to understand that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The more these cycles, you feel like they go they go on and on and on. And you know, going mm -hmm. back to one of our first shows when Neymar left the club, it mm -hmm. still feels like that that moment where it's like, oh, is Barcelona on the verge of collapse, right? And it's still to today. The results are actually much worse than then, but you still feel like, oh, the club is on the verge of, uh, of collapse. But as the yep. club has been around since 1899, much longer than our podcast for four years, but just like mm -hmm. the podcast, it might feel like, you know, whether Frances leaves or, or Neymar leaves or whatever it is, it always feels like it's teetering on the very end. But um, mm -hmm. I'll let you know when it's time to hang up shop. So maybe we got three yep. hundred more on us. I'll, I'll say that. But um, at the same time, the situation that we're going through now, I've already seen it. Um, I saw it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't covering Barca on a daily basis at the time, but um, I was reading and watching everything on a daily basis because, you know, living in Barcelona, that's pretty much not all you get. But every time you turn the TV, there's someone talking about Barca and uh, how awful it was at the time. Um, I obviously endured all the Spanish national channels, um, really loving the fact that Barca were nowhere to be seen. You know, we're struggling to get fourth position. I still remember Rivaldo's scissor kick that um, hopefully we got someone like, I don't know, Gavi doing that in the last game, whatever. I'll sign that right now because we financially, we need to get to the fourth position. Um, but um, going back to, to what we're talking about, Barca are always cyclical. Um, you cannot be at the top forever. I think that being winning leagues, champion leagues, uh, at, the, at the rate that we've done it over the last 15, 20 years is not usual. Um, I'm not going to say it's irrepetible, like it's never going to happen again, but it's going to be incredibly hard for Barca to be at that level ever again. I don't want to be pessimistic, but that's just reality. You know, you cannot have uh, the top three of the Ballon d'Or, like Xavi, Iniesta and Messi, 
uh, on a yearly basis or even every decade. Uh, so if it ever happens again, I will be very pleasantly surprised. Uh, Barca have had the best player ever over the last 15 years. Uh, I don't think we are going to have someone coming through the ranks, being able to perform at that level, let's just say it ever again. But um, at the same time, Barca are a lot lower in terms of game, in terms of environment that they should be. And I think that the Pedri, Gabi, Nico, Balde, and all of the others that are basically planting the seeds for us to, to, to flourish and to get back to the top, uh, they're doing it. We just need a leader that can lead us there. And uh, we may not be great for the next one, two, three, four years, but uh, Barca always come back. Um, at the same time, it's yin and yang, isn't it? Madrid will decline eventually as well, not that they're very high right now. And life goes on. You know, you cannot be winning a treble every year. And I think that all of those that were criticizing on Twitter or just shouting on the wall uh, when Luis Enrique was not playing, let's just say, Rakitic enough or whatever they were saying at the time, but we were winning leagues and Champions League. And that is not something that um, you should complain about when it's happening, really. I mean, people have the right to be critical, of course, and so are we. But you need to appreciate what you have and not just always look at what the gaps are, what's missing, but actually what you have that works. Because otherwise, you're always looking at the glass, not even half empty or half full, but always looking at the negatives. Just focus on the positive, appreciate what you have. And uh, I'm very grateful to have you, Dan, um, having led, you said it's not 300, but it really is, the last 300 episodes of the podcast. Um, I enjoy it as a listener now. And uh, if you ever need me to come back as a guest, I will. But um, well done to you for everything that you've sacrificed, for everything that you've done. And obviously to all the, listen, all the listeners that um, are still listening to me rambling on right now. And, you, you know, your YouTube community, your podcast community, the Facebook group, you've done fantastically well. Um, but again, without your sacrifice and the time and the dedication and the love that we get from the listeners, 100% this would have not happened. So thank you to everyone involved. 301 is coming up next week. Or at the end of this week. I don't know. We'll see what I got. <laughs> we'll see what I got in the chamber. But yeah, we we, we did 300, but there's still uh, so much more to do. There's so many things I'm, I am planning. I mean, people who listen to the very end know that I'm working on a little bit of a rebrand with the, with a new set of logos. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of that new logo, I'm hoping really catches people eye. And I've got some merchandise coming down the pine, hopefully by the holidays, but uh, it'll be mm-hmm. close. Uh, it might be uh it might be po- it might be Valentine's Day, you know. You get it for get it for a significant other, something like that. So, <laughs> but that's just have a picture of Kuman and Bartumeo inside a heart, just oh, giving you the idea for the merchandise. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we can use the likeness on teachers, but we'll we'll see what happens. But in the in the interim, if you want to help us continue to make three hundred more shows, it's always leaving a review on Apple or I mean that stuff is kind of success, uh, helpful. But even just putting the word out, I, I know uh, you don't, Dan, yeah. I'm not always in the podcast now, so I'm just going to interrupt you there. Guys, if you're still listening to the podcast, become a Patreon, okay? You can leave a review. That's awesome. You can comment on the group. That's great. We really appreciate it. But support dance creativity and time. Become a Patreon, please. Okay? I don't normally say this, but it is important. Dan gives up a lot of time. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I was going to lower the bar. I was going to say just share it with somebody you know, another Barca fan. That was, uh... Yeah, do that as well. <laughs> but if you if you can support even like a couple of dollars a month, which is nothing, it's not even buying him a, <laughs> not even buying him a Gatorade, you know? Just support a little bit if you can. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I am a Patreon as well now that I'm a listener. So join us. All right, well, I... It, 
I, I have nothing more to add. You finally made me speechless <laughs> no, you don't after three hundred three hundred shows. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Reports of Barca. Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.